want you to look at some verses with me in the scriptures. And I, I want to entitle this message today, Reset. Being able to reset our spiritual life. Psalms 85, verse 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Now, most of the Psalms were written by David, actually about half. And many of the Psalms were written by the sons of Korah. And uh, many times the sons of Korah would write Psalms um, in times of prosperity in times of barrenness, in times of difficulty. And in Psalms 85, one of the sons of Korah write um, about how God, in the beginning of the Psalms, is very faithful to the people of Israel and blesses them immensely. But unfortunately, so often when God blesses us and when we are just, we have everything that we need, we fail to recognize that we're still dependent on God. In fact, so often God says to the people of Israel, don't forget me when, when you've got a whole lot of everything. When I bless you, don't forget that you are wholly dependent on me for everything in your life. So the people of Israel, they had forgotten. They had drifted from um, really having a personal relationship with God. They drifted from center. And so he cries out to the Lord and he says, Lord, will you not revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. Not in their money, not in things, but Lord, would you revive our souls so that we can find our pleasure and our joy in simply knowing who you are and knowing that you're the one who blesses us and provides us with so much. Psalms 19 was written by David and David says, the law of the Lord is perfect and it revives the soul. It, it brings back to life the soul. And then in Acts chapter 3, we find that Peter actually preaches his first revival sermon. And the people of Israel, uh, many of them obviously did not embrace Christ, but a group of them did. And they're now in the upper room and um, they're praying. They had prayed for about 11 days. And the Bible says, then suddenly the Spirit of God descended upon them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all revived spiritually. They were restored. They were refreshed. They were empowered to preach the gospel around the world. You could say that was the first great, great revival that God spoke about in the book of Joel. And so now we find that Peter actually is preaching this sermon to a group of people. And the Bible says that 3,000 of them repented of their sins. And they came to know Christ as their Savior, and God established the church. Within just several years, the church had grown tremendously in Jerusalem. They said after 25 years that the church had about 25 million Christians. And um, so it was an amazing thing that, that, it, that really transpired as God did such a great work of revival. And Acts chapter 3, Peter says, to the people that are listening, therefore repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you who is Jesus. And so he says, if you really want to have times of spiritual refreshing, you have to repent. But if you do repent, then the spirit will come and revival will come to your soul and then you will be refreshed spiritually. Now, I want to talk to you about restarting again. I want to I talk to you about pushing the restart button spiritually in your life. Not only for yourself, but for our country. Because if there's ever a time that America needs revival, it's today. If there's ever a time that, that our country really needs to stop the craziness to reassess its priorities, to restore our values, to remember where we came from and remember that we were a blessed nation because we embraced God and God was at the center of our nation. We, we know the story. We know history that a group of people came from, from Britain and, and they were oppressed religiously and they wanted to come and be able to worship the Lord. They were Puritans. They were pretty legalistic. Um, they had their own issues, but they loved God. 
And they wanted people to be able to have freedom to worship God, not just go to church and just have a form of religion, but denying its power. And, and we know it's, it doesn't take a historian to figure it out that we know that our country was founded on God, the dollar bill and God we trust. You know, you go to so many places, unfortunately, more and more are taking them off, but you go to so many judicial buildings and you'll see the Ten Commandments and so many things about God. Now, can I say that all of our forefathers were Christians? No. Um, that's not true. Benjamin Franklin, we don't know, ever became a Christian, but Benjamin Franklin's one of, one of, been, one of his best friends was George Whitfield. And George Whitfield was a revival preacher uh, because even though the Puritans came over and they wanted freedom of religion, and even though there was a spiritual fervor, didn't take long for our country to be blessed. It didn't take long for our country to forget that God was the one who blessed them. And, it, and our country declined morally to such an extent that our country was really in bad shape spiritually. I mean, dead, dead people were going to church. There were pastors that didn't even have a relationship with Jesus. They were just pastors just because it was a, it was a, 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 a just a, a tradition that was passed down from one maybe parent to another, and, and uh, maybe it was just a form of making, whatever it might have been, there were a lot of pastors that didn't even have a personal, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I mean, why would you want to be a pastor and not have a personal relationship with Jesus? I mean, being a pastor is hard enough, right? And, and our country declined so much morally that there was a group of people that just started to cry out for revival. And George Whitfield many times traveled from England back to here. Um, and, um, and, and through these, these men of God and women of God who were prayer warriors, we had our first great, they called it a first great awakening. Where, where people were just literally under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, repent of their sins, and they were awakened to spiritual life and they were transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was, a, it was an amazing time in the history of our country. Amazing time in the history even of, of Wales uh, where so much of the revival actually started uh, with, a, with a young man named Jonathan Edwards. A young guy, very intelligent and actually Jonathan Edwards, he wasn't a great preacher. He wasn't a great orator. He was not one who would jump up and down and scream and yell and and uh, excite the crowds like George Whitfield. George Whitfield was like, he was a preacher's preacher. I mean, he would yell and scream and get emotionally and whip up the crowd. But Jonathan Edwards was monotone. But boy, oh boy, he was, he was so filled with God's spirit and he was so anointed that when he would begin to preach, and one of his most famous messages that he ever preached was sinners in the hands of an angry God, that as he began to preach, very monotone, as he began to preach, People in the pews began to weep and cry, and they began to repent of their sins. I mean, guys that were committing adultery and, and guys that were, you know, just absolute alcoholics and, and, and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, very immoral, would be stricken with conviction. Not condemnation, you know, but conviction. I mean, so much under the conviction of God that they would start weeping and wailing right in the services that Jonathan Edwards would have to ask them to be quiet a little bit so that he can keep on preaching all the day that that would happen. And, and hundreds, thousands of people were being transformed by the power of God in such a way that families were now being restored. People's lives were transformed and changed and they knew God and they were, and, and, and cities were actually being transformed. Whole cities. In fact, um, back in those days in Wales, they would have the coal mines and, and the coal miners, they would actually have such bad vocabulary. They would, they would just curse. Every other word was a curse. And so they would have horses and different animals, mules that they, they would use to obviously transport the coal and whatever. And when, when they got saved, when they truly got converted, and they truly started to live holy lives, the animals couldn't understand them anymore because their language changed. Come on, somebody. The bars were closed down. The bars were literally shut down because nobody was going to the bars anymore. They were going to church. All for the day that that would happen in our country. Amen? 
It was so profound. It was so powerful what God had done. And it wasn't, it wasn't a, a work of man at all. It was really a work of God. It was a work of, uh, of God just literally, sovereignly, like on the day of Pentecost, he came down. And he began to touch the hearts of man. You know, I believe with all my heart that a man cannot be saved unless God touches their heart. But I'm thankful that God wants to still touch mankind's heart. And God wants to touch their hearts in a way that they'll recognize that they are in need of a savior. And so I believe that America has forgotten. America has lost its moral compass. And America has really forsaken its Christian heritage. The Bible calls this, though, when it's wholesale like this, the Bible calls it spiritual delusion, where, where wholesale people will just be so blinded to the truth that they'll ingest a lie, and, and where good becomes evil, and evil becomes good. And that's where we are with our country today. Those things that we know are good are talked about as being evil today. You know, if we believe that man created one man, one woman, to be married forever and be committed forever, that's crazy and it's evil. We're bigoted, we, 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 we're not loving, we're not inclusive, and now we Christians who believe in the word of God and know for sure that this is whole and this is wholesome and this is right, we're looked at as that we're evil. Good has become evil and evil has become good. Where a country could literally murder children and now even saying outside of the womb. And, and, and if we stand up for that and say that is wrong, we're considered crazy. We're considered narrow-minded. When it's so obvious, it's so absolutely blatantly obvious that that is a human being. That's what we call a spirit of delusion. And the Bible tells us that in the last days, God is going to turn people over to, their, the, to the craziness of their mind. And they're going to be blinded to the truth. And as a result of that wholesale, people will just embrace that. That's why we need to pray for our young people. Because today, even in the church, I'm, I'm amazed. I'm blown away sometimes what I read on Facebook. I'm a Facebooker. You know why? Because I'm the pastor of Facebook. So I'm going to make sure that when I go on Facebook, I'm going to put things on there that's good and wholesome. And I'm going to put things on there that people are going to think about what they're reading. And, uh, but sometimes I'm just amazed at what I read. And I think about people that should know better, and yet they don't know any better because they're blinded. The Bible talks about it in Romans chapter 1. It talks about groups of people who should know better, and they should embrace the God who created everything. And the Bible says because they were no longer uh, wanting to embrace God and the truth about God, God gave them over to a spirit of delusion so that they might uh, actually exchange the glory of God to worshiping just uh, animals and all kinds of nonsense and even worshiping themselves. And they exchange the natural order of things and the natural sexual order of things and they exchanged it so that they now sinned with one another. It's just so, so we can see that our country is going down that road. And, and we can see that our country needs again a voice, a voice that will speak out for spiritual reformation that will only come through revival. And America is desperate for revival because our families are falling apart, our marriage is on the rock, and morality is disintegrating, and we have lost direction. And we are going to reap the consequences of a nation that's left God. And the answer to our problem, friends, is not found in the White House. And it's not found in the courthouse. It's, it's found in the house of God. It's found with the, it's found with the people of God because the Bible says that we're the light of the world and we're the salt of the earth. And light makes everything brighter and salt makes everything better. And, and, and it really starts with us. In fact, I want to tell you today, I was so tempted to do this, but this pretty platform, I didn't want to mess it up. But I was tempted to get a piece of chalk and, and draw a circle around myself. Because the truth is, revival starts with me. Revival starts with you individually. And I can't change the world, but I can allow God to change me. And the truth is, prayer doesn't change things. Prayer changes people. People change things. 
And so today, what I'm praying for is that we would push the reset button in our spiritual life. You see, I need to start. I need to start with me. I, I want to be transparent with you. I didn't sleep very good last night. I was kind of just really like, if I could have preached at 11 o'clock last night, 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, call the church together, I'm ready to go. You know, because every once in a while, there's those kind of sermons that are just burning in my soul. They're burning in my heart that I'm ready to go. Because I'm just, God wants to speak so clearly to us this morning about where we are personally in our life. And so I want to tell you that I'm not pointing my finger at you. I'm actually drawing a circle around me. And I'm asking God, start with me. The kind of prayers that I've been praying this week is, Lord God, search my own heart, God. Lord, have I lost my first love for you, God? You remember when you were first saved? Do you remember when you first came to know Christ as your Savior? Remember the excitement? If you can't remember the excitement of meeting Jesus for the first time, then you've never been saved. You've never met my Jesus. Because when you really meet Jesus, there's, there's a peace and a joy in your heart that you cannot find in anything else. There's a place in which you just know that you know that God has come down. God has embraced you through his son, Jesus Christ, and something has changed in your life. Someone once said, a revivalist once said, for any revival to sweep through our churches or for any great spiritual awakening to blaze through our communities, the work of the Spirit must begin in individual hearts. It must begin with us. So take a piece of chalk and draw a circle around yourself. It begins when the circle is drawn. And like at the altars of ancient times, a repentant believer stands in that sacred place and offers him or herself to God afresh as a living sacrifice. Lord, send revival to this circle. I confess my need for you. I confess my sins. Please, God, begin your work in me today. Because revival spreads through unlikely people and unheard prayer warriors, through housewives who set their hearts on praying for their children that they might experience revival. It's found through fathers who live for the glory of God and for the purpose of passing on to their children a godly legacy of knowing Christ and loving Christ with all of our hearts. It's found through businessmen and women who take the gospel to their workplaces and live with passion and on fire for God. It's found through senior citizens who commit themselves to give God or themselves no rest until his glory is seen in their generation. It's like that woman who waited for the birth of Jesus and said, now I can die because I've seen the glory of God. It's like that woman who presses through. She presses through the crowd and touches the hem of Jesus' garment and feels the presence and power of God that comes upon her. It's like that man who cried out, Blind Bartimaeus who said, Lord, have mercy on me, not on my neighbor, but God, have mercy on me. It's like the four men who, who cut a hole in the roof and lowered their friend down to Jesus because they were so desperate for their friend to, to meet and experience the power of Jesus in their life. My friend, all of us individually need to draw a circle around ourselves. There must be a deep cry in our hearts that says, Lord, I am wretched, I am poor, I am blind, I am naked, I am in the need of revival in my life. I am in the need for you to do a deeper work in my own soul. Someone once said, there's no arrival at revival. Revival is the soul's craving for a touch of God from heaven on earth, seeing our Lord honored in glory and power. There's a cry in our heart that says, Lord, we will not retreat, we will not stop praying until you come and do a work in our hearts first. And then that work spreads and continues to spread as more and more people come to know you and come to know there is a God who loves them. So how do we know when we need revival? Well, before I even ask that question or answer that question, I want to explain to you what revival is not. Revival is not putting a sign on the door saying that tomorrow or next week or next month we're going to have a revival. Now, I understand that when 
when we, when we put those signs on the doors and we say, we're going to have a revival service, what we're really saying is, is that we are going to commit ourselves to taking some time, setting apart time from the craziness and the busyness of our life to fast, to pray, and to seek God for a period of time. Here's what I have found in the history of Bethlehem Assembly of God. When we have those times, when we kind of reset, put our lives on pause, and we set our hearts and our minds to meet with God, He always meets us. Like just in January when we had Pastor Randy Ruiz came, and, and we had times of refreshing, and it was amazing as the Spirit of God touched our hearts, and we sang and we worshiped God, and we weren't worried about the time, and we came on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and you know, we just, we just wanted more of God. And, and, and here's what I have found. I have found when we draw near to God, when we take the time to seek God with all of our hearts, God comes and he meets us every time. I have never been denied the presence of God when I have sought God with a diligence and a determination in my heart. But, but revival is not an event. Revival is not an event. Revival is not emotionalism. Now, I, I, I want you to know it. I'm probably one of the most emotional people that you'll ever meet. I'm Pentecostal and I'm Italian. Come on, somebody. You know? And Italians are kind of emotional. And I'm Sicilian, to say the least, all right? So I've got a mixture of a lot of stuff inside of me, right? And, um, but but I, I'm emotional. You know, some Latinos I know, they're emotional. You go anywhere, you find Latinos are emotional, right? And then there's the Germans. The Germans, we're still working on that one. But, but the truth of the matter is, is revival is not emotionalism. It's not yelling and screaming, jumping up and down and rolling down the aisles. Now, I, I love to jump up and down. I love to scream. I love to yell. I love to worship God. I love to shout before the Lord. I love to have a great time. But that's not revival. I've been in churches where they yell, they scream, they roll down the aisle, and everybody was living in sin. So, so revival is not emotionalism. It's, revival is not even lost people getting saved, although the product of revival always is that people get saved. In fact, there's three things that happen in any revival. Number one, sleeping Christians wake up. <laughs> sleeping Christians, wake up! Sleeping Christians wake up. That's why Paul said to the church of Ephesus, awake and the Lord will give you light. That when revival comes, sleeping Christians wake up it's like they wake up from their stupor from their slumber it's like they're less lethargic when it comes to worship they're less lethargic about sharing their faith they're just they're less lethargic spiritually there's just a vigor about them they're set on fire again they come back to their first love they wake up and they are now invigorated with a spiritual fervor the second thing that happens is sinning Christians are convicted. They're not condemned. They're convicted. You know, they, 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 they really are. They come to church and, and they, they hear the message and, and, and they just know, man, I'm not living right. And they get convicted in their heart and they have to repent of their sins. Why? Because repentance is a beautiful, amazing thing. Holiness is a beautiful and amazing thing. Because repentance causes our spirits to be clean so that we're not walking around feeling distant from God. We feel, we feel like we can walk with God because we're living in, a, in holiness. Not because of something that we're doing, but it's the Holy Spirit doing that work inside of us. And now we're starting to treat our wives and our husbands right. And, and, and we're convicted when, when, when we want to open our mouth and we want to speak against somebody. We're convicted. We're, just, we're in tune. We're hearing God. Because God has come down and he's speaking to us. It's a supernatural, sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. But sinners are convicted. And as a result of that, sleeping Christians awake from their slumber. And now they're on fire. And now they are spreading that fire. They're living for God wherever they go. And guess what happens? People around them now start to respond to the gospel. Because the gospel is alive in them. Come on, somebody powerful and sinners are now living a holy and righteous life and now they get on fire and as a result of that lost people are seeing a change can you imagine 
the person who's an alcoholic who now starts to get freed and dried up and now clean and sober. Man, what a story. What a God story. And people want to know, how did that happen? And people start coming to know Christ as their Savior. So now I want to tell you what revival is. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on this one thing, and then we'll pick it up next week. Today's our first day that I actually, we had an 8.30 service, then we have 10.30 service, and now we have an 11.45 service. So I'm going to be leaving soon and going over to Rosedale, and then we're going to come back here at 12.30. I don't want you to forget, please remember that March the 31st, we're going to have four services at Bethlehem Assembly of God, three here at this campus and one at Rosedale. I want to encourage you, if you live near Rosedale, go to that campus and go to the open house. Uh, the open house is going to be wonderful on the 24th, I believe it is. It's a great time to go. We want you to go see the building. Why? Because it's your building. It's our building. You're, you're helping to uh, finance that and help uh, to make that happen. And so we're having an open house where you can come and get some coffee and some refreshments. And uh, you can take a tour of the building and pray uh, that God would bless Rosedale as well. And um, so I'm, I'm heading over there around 12 o'clock today. Um, but... I just want to really focus on one thing today. I don't want to rush this at all, and we're going to pick it up next week. But the first thing, revival is, I want you to write this down, number one. Revival is when the Holy Spirit rekindles. Everybody say, rekindle. It's when the Holy Spirit rekindles our love for God. Revival is not for the lost. That's conversion. Revival is for the church. Now, the word revival actually means to resuscitate, to once again breathe life back into something that's about to die. Breathe life into something that's about to die. And so if it was alive, then it would not need to be resuscitated or revived. If it's dead, it needs to be converted and transformed and born again. Amen? So revival is not for the world. The outcome of that is the world, the world is impacted incredibly. In the Wales revival, thousands of Christians gave their lives, uh, thousands of non-Christians gave their lives to Christ. In the 1800s, there was a man named um, Charles, um, Charles Finney. And Charles Finney was a, a revivalist as well, and he just believed that revival came when God's people began to pray together in unity. The Spirit of God would come. And so with a couple of other gentlemen, they actually, businessmen, Christian businessmen, they actually went into Manhattan and they started afternoon, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, prayer meetings in churches. And it started with just a small group of people. Soon it started to grow and grow and grow where there were thousands of Christians that were gathering um, once a day in churches, and they were praying for revival. They were praying that God would transform New York City, Manhattan. Because how many know that we tend to drift, we tend to drift, we tend to drift. And so, you know, the, the first great awakening, God did some great things. Thousands and thousands of people came to know Christ. Churches were full again. God revitalized the churches and revival hit. But then <laughs> we needed the second great awakening and then the third. Charles Finney, New York City and Manhattan. And they just started praying together. And um, there, there are indications and th statistics that tell us that there were over 80,000 people that got saved through that revival in New York City. So God can do anything, right? Um, so, so the first thing that happens when revival comes is God rekindles our love for Jesus. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, the reason why you are saved, the reason why you are born again is to love Jesus. It's all about a love relationship with God. Jesus said there are two commandments that encapsulate everything that you should know about God and about the Word of God. And that is love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. God wants to have a love, an intimate love relationship with you. That's it. That's all he's interested in, is having a love relationship with you, not a religion. He's not interested in telling you what you should or should not do. He just wants to have a love relationship with you. 
And in having that love relationship with him, he's going to speak to you. He's going to become the lover of your life. He's going to become your best friend. And you, out of a love for him, are going to want to please him and love him and do that which he tells you to do. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. So it's about a love relationship. And how many know that sometimes our love relationship with God wanes? Sometimes we drift away from our love relationship with God. And as a result of that, we fall out of love with God and we fall in love with other things. That's what happened to the people of Israel over and over and over again. But God said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can keep the fire of love kindled in your heart. And when you begin to drift away, it's the Holy Spirit that will convict you to come back to your lover. The one who died for you. The one who gave his life for you. The one who breathes life into you every single day. The one that you need every single day of your life. And so, revival rekindles that love by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting to note that Jesus actually is speaking in the book of Revelation, the first three chapters. Jesus is speaking to a church that needed revival. Now, now, I want you to notice that it's only about 40 years after Jesus dies and is resurrected and the church is established that now these churches that were once on fire are now in need of rebuke and revival. See, every church is one generation, one generation away from extinction, one generation. I've been in churches that were so big, massive buildings, and the reason why they were massive buildings was because the truth is they just couldn't fit the people because God was sending people and God was doing a great work and the church was so alive that people were coming in. You didn't even have to hardly uh, advertise about it because people were hearing about what God was doing and they were coming into the church and now you sit in those same huge buildings and there's no people left in the buildings because it died. I'm thankful to God that three times on Sunday morning we fill the house and God is here and God is blessing, and I'm thankful that we're reaching people and we're, we're birthing ministries and we're planting churches because there's life at Bethlehem. I'm not saying we're in revival, but there's life at Bethlehem. I want to go to the next level. I want to experience a revival in my lifetime where the work becomes even easier because we're flowing in the river and God's doing a great work. We're not swimming in a puddle but we're swimming in the river, and, it, and the river is actually carrying us, doing a great work at Bethlehem Assembly of God. But we're only one, one generation away from extinction. One generation away from, hey man, we don't know the power of God, we don't know God, and little by little, church dies. So we've, we've got to make sure that we keep the fire burning for our children. That's why I'm really encouraging you this Wednesday night if you're a member to come because we're going to share our building expansion program with you. And I believe most of what we're doing is for the next generation. It's for the next generation to instill within them that they're important and, and that we're preparing for them so that um, they can have a, a bigger, more productive facilities to work with, a, a better campus to work with. Uh, but, but Jesus is now talking to a church in Ephesus 40 years later. And I want you to notice what Jesus says to this church in Revelation chapter 2. He says, and to the angel of the church at Ephesus, this church was a, a church that was on fire. This church was a church that was getting it done. But now Jesus is speaking to them, and Jesus says, man, I love you. And that's why I want to tell you is I love you, but you've lost something. He says, these things I say to you. He said, I know your works. I know that you work hard. He goes, I know you show up every Sunday morning, and I know you show up every Wednesday night, and I know you volunteer for Hope Day, and I know you, you're involved in the business of the church and in the ministry of the church. So I, I see you doing that work. I see you showing up. But Jesus was saying, it's not enough just to show up. You're not doing God a favor by just showing up. He said, and I know your labor and your patience. He said, you even have the virtue of patience, man. Week after week after week, but year after year after year, you're just so patient and you just show up. He said, and you're doing these things. He said, and not only that, he says, but, but you even have a hatred in a good way, a godly hatred 
for that which is evil. You hate that which is evil. You, you can see it's evil. You can see that abortion is evil. You can see that the way that this country is going, going you know, further and further down the path of wickedness and evil. I, you can see, you can call it out. You can spot it, man. You can, you can see it. He said, not only that, you don't tolerate people that, that claim to be apostles, but they're false apostles and false prophets. He says, man, you, you nail that. He says, so you work hard. He said, you've got patience. You can't bear with those things that are evil. You can call it out. And he said, you've even tried those people who, 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 who say that they're really apostles, but, man, they get on TV and, and they're just trying to take your money. He said, you can spot them a mile away. He said, and that's all good. He says, nevertheless, I have one thing against you. He says, this one thing is the most important thing. You have forsaken your first love. He said, you're just going through the motions. You're showing up. You're showing up at home. You're eating dinner with me, but you don't love me anymore. When I ask you to do something... You do it, but you do it out of obligation. There's, there's no fervor anymore. There's no joy in the work. There's no passion in the work. There's no passion in your worship any longer. You're just going through the motions. He said, and, and you have forsaken, you have left your first love. And then he said, remember therefore whence you have fallen. Look how far you have fallen, he said. And, and repent, and repent. That word repent is a beautiful word. It means to change your mind. I mean, recognize, realize, man, you lost something. And come to me and recognize it. That's never, I was never asking for you to do this work. I was never asking you to just simply be patient. What I'm asking is for an intimate relationship with you. I want you to love me and I want to love you back. He said, remember how far you repent and do the first things. Do the things that you did when you were on fire for God. When you weren't ashamed of the gospel. When you made time. When you, when you made time to spend with me. When, when you loved being with me more than anything else. When you loved hearing the word. When you loved reading the word. He says, go back and do it. He goes, in fact... If you start doing it, I'll give you that love. I'll put it in your heart because it's God who does it in your heart. It's not just trying harder. Man, you just try harder. It's never going to work. Revival is when the Holy Spirit, listen to me. Revival is when the Holy Spirit breathes on you again and, and reinvigorates and rekindles the flame inside of your heart. He takes that heart that's starting to become hardened and he softens that heart. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But it can't be done until you recognize you've got a problem and you need to repent. It can't start until you say, yes, Lord, I've allowed this to happen in my heart, Lord God. I need your fire again. And when you ask for the fire of the Holy Spirit, when you repent of, of drifting away and recognizing that you're drifted away. You see, repentance is so important because there's a lot of people don't, that, that, that they don't even realize or at least they don't want to admit that they've got a problem. And denial is not just a river in Egypt. And he said, repent. Do that which you did at first. Or else I will come to you quickly. And I will remove your candlestick out of this place unless you repent. You know what that means? It means the Holy Spirit will just, there's churches. And this is the sad thing. There are churches that if the Holy Spirit just left, they wouldn't even know he was gone. If the Spirit of God left, they'd still be singing. They'd still be entertaining. They'd still be sharing a message. They'd still be saying amen. The Holy Spirit's gone. But he says, I, I just want to dwell. I just, just want to come where people are on fire and they want me to be there. God wants to be wanted. And when God is wanted, the Bible says, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. He comes to a place that is on fire with souls that want him more than anything else. Wow, he enjoys. He just comes and feels welcome to come into that place. Dwell 
in their midst. And, and when it's not happening, a group of people have to say, it's not happening, God, we repent. So how do you know when you have lost your first love? How, how do you know that you really lost your first love? Well, number one, let me just give you a few ways. Number one, you can go hours or days without having more than a, a mere passing thought of Christ. You don't have a strong desire to spend time with him. There's no yearning in your heart any longer to pray, to really seek him, to be with him. I mean, it doesn't mean that you spend hours and hours. It just, it just means that there's a, there's a desire there to know God. There's a desire to, to, to pray, to, to be connected to God. You don't have a strong hunger for the word of God. Bible reading becomes a chore, something to mark off your, on your to-do list. Spending time in prayer is a burden. It's a duty instead of a real delight. Your worship is formal. It's dry. It's lifeless. It's merely going through the motions. When, when you're on fire for God, when, when you're experiencing revival, man, you know, you, you, you hear a song like, like today. When Curtis sang, what a wonderful young man. But when he sang that song, you know, you, Lord, you, you're like the air in my lungs. Every once in a while when I'm singing that song, I just got to stop. And I, I start crying and weeping like, God, that's who you are, God. You're the, you're the air in my lungs, Lord. God, I can't breathe without you. Worship songs. Not, not these diddly, some of these songs. I don't even know where they get them from. But I'm talking about songs that that speak about the excellency and the, the majesty and the glory of Christ and what he has done for us. And man, just singing it, just seeing the words on the screen, it, it moves you. It moves your heart when you realize, God, you did this for me. You died on the cross for my sins, Lord God. You love me so much. I mean, some of the most incredible songs, they should, they should move our hearts. Private prayer and worship are almost non-existent. Yeah, you come to church and maybe even sing and clap your hands in church, but in the private place, if there is any, it's cold and dry. You're more concerned about physical health, well-being, and comfort than about the well-being and condition of your soul. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I'm going to tell you something. Taking care of your body is really important. And the Bible says bodily exercise profited little, but spiritual exercise profited in this world and the, and the world to come. Huh? So it doesn't say it doesn't profit at all. It does. But some of us spend more time every day making our outer person look good. You know what I'm talking about. Some of us spend more time at the gym pumping ourselves up, looking good, that we have no time to spend with Jesus. No time. Now, I, I go to the gym. I know you can tell, right? You know, even at the gym, I, I promise you, even at the gym, man, there are times when I'll just, I'm, I'm on my mat, you know, I'm doing my whole thing, my, my planks and all of that stuff. So I just close my eyes, I just start talking to Jesus. You know, I have my music on, my worship music on, listening to the word, you know. Um, and then I'll spend more time with God. It just, it's just like, you know, if we look at it, if we really, if we, if we evaluate the time that we spend every day on all the things that we do, how much time does God get in our thoughts, in our mind, in our heart, in our ears, with our eyes? And if, and if that's not a whole lot, let me just share with you, you need revival in your life. Your heart towards Christ is cold and indifferent, not tender as it once was, not easily moved by his word, by talk, and by spiritual things. Christianity is more of a checklist than a relationship with Christ. The truth is you measure spirituality, yours or others, by performance rather than the condition of your heart. Christianity is defined more by what you do than who you are. You, your service for Christ and others is motivated by a sense of obligation. You can talk with others about your kids, about marriage, about the news, about uh, anything else, but when spiritual matters come up, you just, you don't have much to say. You don't have any good stories, any God stories. Hey, one of the ways, one of the indications that you've lost your first love is you don't have any, we call them testimonies, God stories. If you don't have any God stories, it's because you're not doing anything for God. 
Because I want to tell you something. When you start to do something for God, God will give you testimony. I mean, I, I'm so blessed. I have a God story every single week. You come talk to me, and I'll tell you all the great things that God's doing around me and through me and in me. I'll tell you all the people that I share with. I met somebody yesterday. His name is Andrew. Andrew, I met him at the gym. Andrew looked at me and said, that boy is so skinny, I need to help him. And I'm already praying for Andrew. I'm already, he's on my prayer list. And I got a chance while he was showing me how to do a few things. I said, hey, man, you live in this community? He said, yeah, I live, in, I, I live right here in Valley Street. I said, oh, I'm a pastor of a church. I got the best church in the whole world. And I opened up the dialogue. Did I share my faith with him? Did, I, did, it, did we both get on our knees right there at the gym and repent of our sin? No. But I started the conversation. I got a God story. And I got a God story in process. You see? But if you got no God stories, it's because you're not seeing God do any am amazing things in your life. And the only reason why you're not seeing amazing things happen in your life is because you need revival. Because when you're revived, and when your soul and your heart is revived, every day becomes an adventure. Every day becomes a new adventure of how God is going to work in you and through you. I'm going to stop right here. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to make it real in your heart. If the worship team would come. And um, I just want to pray for anyone in this room who feels like you've lost your first love. And you want God to rekindle that love that you once had for Christ. Or maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Steve, I don't even know if I die today, I'd go to heaven. And I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins and to come into my heart and revive my soul. Whoever you are today, right now, God wants to do a new work in your life. Remember, I told you that I drew a circle around myself. And my prayer this week and next week will be, Lord God, speak to me. Show me, Lord God. If there's something that is grabbing my heart and pulling my heart away from my intimate relationship with you. You know you need revival when you get comfortable with things that you knew at one time was wrong. And now you've begun to embrace them and compromise with them. You know you need revival. When you're not you're not troubled in your spirit with sin. When you're not troubled in your spirit with compromise. So let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now that you would speak to our hearts, God. Lord, sometimes sermons shouldn't be loud. and Sometimes sermons shouldn't whip up the people and excite the people. Sometimes sermons need to be introspective. Sometimes there needs to be such a hush in the church, Lord, that you can hear a, a pin drop, Lord God. Lord, sometimes there needs to be less amens and more oh me's. So, Lord, I pray that you search our hearts today, God. And help us to see if we're just going through the motions, Lord. Just coming to church more out of religious obligation than out of a passion for you. Getting up every morning, Lord God. Just going through the motions. Lord, help us to know that we can walk with you in an intimate way, Father. Rekindle, Lord God, our first love for you. And God, do it this morning. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm, I'm not even sure that if I died today, I'd go to heaven and I need to be converted. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you right now. Anybody in this place, God bless you for that hand. God bless you. God bless you for that hand. Anybody else here? Yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. In the balcony, yes. If you raise your hand, and it looks like a lot of young people, young, young people raise their hand. If you're an old person and I said called you young, feel good. Take it. But um, I was 19 years old when I gave my life to Jesus. And I want to promise you that I'm, I'm 56 years old. I know I don't look it. Come on, be honest. Um, 56 years old. God has been so good to me. 
yeah, there are times when I think that my fire dwindles down and I need a little bit of a boost. I'm so glad that all these years, God has kept me on fire, kept me loving Him. It's a work that only God can do in our hearts. But when I was 19 years old, I, I had to come and, and ask God to forgive me for my sins. And I had to come and say, God, God, I, I need you more than the air that I breathe, Lord. And, and I know I'm a sinner, and I need you to cleanse me and do a work. Do a work in my heart, God. Change me from the inside out, Lord God. And give me a, a newfound joy for life and a new purpose in life. And man, the moment I did that, the moment I did that, how does that happen? It, it, it happens with fully surrendering to God. It's not, it's not just, I'm, I'm going to try God out. No, 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 no. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to pick up your cross. It means that you die to yourself. You die to your own desires. And you say, God, I'm not coming to you because you're going to just bless me and do good things in my life. I'm coming to you because you are God. I sinned against the holy God. And I need to be forgiven of my sins so that I might go to heaven and not hell. That's what the Bible says. And so we come with a repentant heart. And guess what? When we do that, God, he, he comes and wraps his arms around us. And he, and he breathes his spirit into us. And he changes us. And we become the recipient of our repentance. Hallelujah. We become the benefactor of our humility. And so if that's you today and you raised your hand, in a moment I'm going to invite you to get out of your seat. Let's see if you're real serious. <laughs> it's cool to raise your hand when every head is bowed and every eye is closed and nobody's seeing it. It's another thing to say, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm going to make it right with God. I'm going to meet with 